These roomies do their research, but they are not experts, so it's best not to hold any fumbles, foibles, or fallacies against them. They're just here to have fun and empty their brains of any occupying thoughts. What do you call a werewolf without legs? What do you what? What? Anything, because it can't chase you. <laughs> oh, my God. No. <laughs> I told you it was terrible. That's You're so right. bad. I literally looked up dad jokes werewolf. <laughs> oh, my God. You succeeded. Welcome back to Occupied Thoughts. This is your Jesse host, Jesse, they, them pronouns. I'm your Toby host, Toby. I use he, him. I'm your Rhonda host, Maggie, and I use she, her. Well, you may have wondered, who was that new and interesting voice who is not Rhonda? Rhonda's dead. We've killed her. (laughs) No. (laughs) She's claimed the identity of Rhonda. She is now the she, her of this podcast. We have with us the illustrious Maggie, brought in by our lovely host, Toby. This is Toby's best friend and wife, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. One of the wives. One of my my first wife. My first wife. The first of my harem, yes. I was say, yeah, the first wife. She had to... The most um, important. Yeah, exactly. She got to, you know, uh, approve all the other wives, you know. They have to go through Maggie's eye of, like, Like, yeah. Yeah, I can say very, very strict vetting, you know. Oh, for sure, for sure. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so we have Maggie with us. Um, she is best friend in Toby, graduated with bachelor's in biochem and a minor in environmental science. So already she is way smarter than everyone else in this room. Hardly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she is also currently uh, applying to med school. Maggie has been working in a hospital, volunteering and researching, and she considers herself 15% trashy rock music, 20% allergies, 5% cat hair, 30% river water, 25% weather inappropriate clothing choices, 5% natural and artificial flavors, and she is manufactured in a factory that also produces soy. So, warnings. Coincidentally, Um, that's also my dating profile intro. I love that. That's amazing. So um, she's also single. So, you know, hit her up. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, please do. Please do. My wife needs my wife needs another wife. <laughs> um, and overall, a self-described strange and concerning person, which aren't we all? Can, I can confirm Maggie is indeed strange and concerning. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So why don't you um, tell us a little bit about uh, your topic and then... Um, some of your other obsessions and fun things that you're interested in, things that are occupying your thoughts? Sure, I can do that. Uh, So today I am, by the way, very excited to be on this podcast. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Rhonda. Although you're absent and I stole your place. Um, (laughs) So I would like to thank all the pasts of uh, Octopod. Followed by today's topic is going to be on pop science. And I'll go into a little bit about what that is and what specifically I'll be talking about later um, for now. Other interests that are occupying my thoughts. Um, definitely certain media lives in my mind rent-free, always, including <laughs> Haikyuu, Butterfly Soup, Warrior Cats, uh, specifically when we're talking about Warrior Cats, like the uh, Warrior Cats AMV era on YouTube. And there's also this album, Amazing. The Mollusk by Ween. I know it's very specific, but uh, that's where we are as far as that goes. Yeah. I uh, can confirm all of these uh, special interests. I was there for the AMV moments. Yes. I just feel like if, 
if anyone knows what the like the Weens album, like the Mulse and stuff, like some of these very specific things, if anyone out there knows about these things, they will be probably so thrilled. Like, oh my God, someone else knows. So I know you're you're welcome, uh, random audience member. <laughs> yes. I don't know. It's very it's niche. I never meet anyone who knows about these things, so it's always well, maybe high but like um the other stuff sure. definitely not. I mean everybody knows about anime. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so other the folks who don't know Haikyuu will be like the what? No, what? <laughs> like, oh, anime. Okay, cool. Oh, you know the skull. Everyone's seen it. Um, <laughs> the what? Yes. It's a, it's a meme reference. Just oh, no. yeah. don't, don't worry about <laughs> yes. it. Yes. Oh, you know Haikyuu. Everyone's seen it. Um. So okay. The other the other interests probably on my mind all the time. Uh, we have rabies. We have lycanthropy, which also is related to my rabies obsession in more than one way. Yes. Uh, we have sustainable agriculture and soil, hand in unlovable hand, and we have neopets. I, 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 I really don't like the fact that you said unlovable hand because, you know, sustainable agri- agriculture and soil need to be in love and have lovable hands, so I need you to take that back right now. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, re- I rescind my statement. I retract. I submit a retraction to the journal I just published that in. <laughs> Okay, good. Perfect, perfect. I really like that you said Neopets because that was my whole childhood. And I still occasionally will go back to my my profiles and be like, how y'all doing over here? Ah, starving? Cool. Not going to change that. But <laughs> I, it, it, it's been a while since it's happened. But Maggie would DM me at like maybe 1 a.m. to let me know how her Neopet stocks were doing. Oh, that's I could never get into stocks because I have ADHD. I didn't realize the time. So I just forget they exist. And I would come back and be like, ah, cool. Like uh, nothing would ever happen with mine because I'd always forget. And I'd never see it when they were actually doing well. I'd always miss it. As soon as I realized you couldn't name your pets, like, whatever you wanted, they each had to have their own unique username. Uh, like, each the, the pets can only have, like, one name exist. Yes. So, like, oh. each of your pets are, like, it's, like, Minion01459 or whatever. So I was, like, as soon as I couldn't have a cool name for my pets, I was, like, fuck this. And I gave up on the <laughs> pets. I was, like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I was just basically, I was on there for the game. I was trying to make money because I wanted to like make my pets cute and get like um, the paint brushes and such. But I was largely on there for um, role playing for a while. The forums. Wow. Incredible. So who wants to do a deep dive into pop science? Hell yeah. I'm excited. All right, everyone. Excellent. So um i guess i should define pop science before i talk about why i want to talk about it so that's a little backwards uh so let's let's do that let's do that um so pop science is first of all you got to realize it is distinct from science journalism um and i have two definitions here Mm. the first definition is for science journalism which more people are probably familiar with and that is the Oxford Research Encyclopedia defines it as a specialized form of journalism predominantly covering issues such as science, medicine, and technology. And so this is a type of stuff you'll see on like CNN and The Times and National Geographic talking about some latest scientific development in genetics or something like that. Um, alternatively, pop science, and this is defined by Wikipedia because uh, you'll, you'll see, is an interpretation of science intended for a general audience. And while science journalism focuses on recent scientific developments, popular science is more broad ranging. Um, so this is so this is a type of thing you'd see on like uh, Daily Mail or Psychology.com right. or someone makes a Instagram infographic on something or your, um, your aunt so reposts like- a wellness blog on Facebook. <laughs> 
so pop science is basically more easily digestible by the right like the just the public as opposed the to laymen. uh scientists with like brains and stuff uh yeah that's laymen who don't have brains uh I kind, kind of yeah can confirm you're mm-hmm. definitely on the right track. So it is definitely way more accessible. It, it doesn't usually have the scientific jargon. Science journalism, to an extent, can include very easily digestible and accessible reports of science as well. But generally, the distinction is that most pop science isn't really, it's not really supported uh, with the same plethora of scientific literature. Because science journalism, sort of, there's mm-hmm. this, this uh, if you want to do good science journalism, you have a responsibility to appro- like accurately reflect what you're reporting on. Whereas pop science is mm-hmm. just sort of, people read the science and then they came to their own interpretation of it. And they're like, oh, sure, I guess if this says X, maybe, maybe I can say Y. And maybe it's the same thing. And oftentimes it's not. Basically, pop science, another thing about pop science is usually science journalism. It is, it covers everything. It might be a little more biased because people tend to be interested in certain subjects more than others. Like, for example, physics science journalism, you know, the general public might not be as interested in that as medical science journalism. But pop science really just takes these biases and, like, runs with them because almost always when you're reading something about pop science, it's generally it's generally about something that most people are well aware of and interested in, like nutrition, psychology, occasionally medicine, especially in the era of COVID-19, medicine um, and pop science mm-hmm. has kind of, like, exploded. So those are the usual suspects. Okay, so I just, before I cover it, so this episode, I'm going to be talking not just about pop science in general, I'm going to try to make it interesting by talking about some weird, bad, and interesting instances of pop science, some of which give me so much grief, it's absolutely wild. Um, but first, let me let me just give you a brief coverage of egregious pop science sins that I see all the time, oh, yeah. to the point that they almost char- characterize pop science in general. Like, one of these things is usually present when you have pop science. So, mm-hmm. for example... Um, One of these things is references, lack of references, lack of good references, or lack of references Mm. at all. This happens so often. Like that Instagram infographic about why flax seeds cure cancer, usually it does not come with a reference. And if it does, it's usually not a scientific journal. Is that a thing? Uh, Flax seeds? I don't know. I'm just making shit up just like these people do. Um, (laughs) So, but you will hear about Oh my gosh, share the graphic with me. (laughs) Put that on the Instagram post. So just like... (laughs) (laughs) flax seeds this is why flax seeds cure cancer yes um so for the record listeners flax seeds do not cure cancer to my knowledge um right i can't i cannot endorse that um in fact most things don't take this i can i'll endorse it (laughs) you'll endorse it okay toby um very typical of you so (laughs) sorry had to stretch for a second there so basically the thing about references the biggest thing is Obviously, you need to source your information somewhere because if you want to do science, it is critical that you're working with something evidence-based. But if you don't have any evidence, then it's not scientific. Furthermore, if you don't have any good evidence, if if your source is some anecdotal situation or one article on Blogspot or something, that's not useful. And furthermore, Let's say, and sometimes pop science actually does come with sources from a scientific journal, like a publication in a scientific journal, but it just misunderstands or wildly, like, inaccurately represents the source. 
Um, that's the biggest, mm. that is the biggest sin of pop science, almost every time. The next thing is generally scales, numbers, statistics, proportions. So I remember why I had this on here. I don't remember why I had this on here, but I remember some of the things that this relates to. So you, if, if you are reporting on a pop science thing and you're reporting, let's say you have a reference, you have a good reference, and it's about this study where, I don't know, 10 people participated that is not going to be as useful and credible as a study where 10,000 people participated. It, science is very much a numbers game. And so if you take mm -hmm. a study mm -hmm. or any information at all based on a very small handful of subjects, that is not going to be an accurate reflection of the general population. And so that's another thing about pop science. People will see a one specific case study or one study out of thousands that's different from all the rest, and then they'll take that and they'll cite that as evidence for whatever pop science idea they're trying to tell you is correct. And that's, you right. know, that's also something that's not scientific. Um, You're over here, it's just like 80% of, and it's because it's like eight people out of 10. Like, right, right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Nine out of 10 doctors recommend. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Next, we have correlation and causation. This is a very egregious error. Mm. Sometimes this even occurs in uh, science, like confusing correlation and causation. Good science can do this too, but it's not good science if it does this. Uh, <laughs> paradox, perhaps? Um, anyway, so if you confuse what causes something with the effect of something. So, for example, there's a really, oh, this should be the picture. There's a really good graph that represents two things that are entirely unrelated but are correlated. For example, I think it's like uh, honey production from beehives in Canada and like Nicolas Cage movies. And the graphs are like, they look exactly yes. the same, but it's completely unrelated. So if you, if you take two things that are either completely unrelated and you say that these two things are correlated and therefore they must be affecting one another, or alternatively, you have two things that are related as in A causes B and you claim B causes A, that is inaccurate scientific reporting. The next one is overextending results. So if you have a scientific paper, it, you, let's say you're doing everything right. You have a scientific publication. It is peer from a peer-reviewed journal. It is supported by other peer-reviewed articles in your scientific journal. But then you take the results of this conclusion and you way overextend it. That is, you know, that's not really something you can do. Like, for example, let's say someone did a study in Nebraska with 100 people and they tested them and they said, how much do you like corn? And the consensus was 80% <laughs> of people liked corn. You cannot say, mm -hmm. okay, that means across the entire world, 80% of people that you meet are going to like corn. That is going to be a very, very different result depending on where you go and other factors in this study. So maybe you only studied women ages 18 to 20, and you said, okay, 80% mm -hmm. of women in Nebraska ages 18 to 20 like corn. That does not mean men 60 to 90 in Japan are going to have 80% of them liking corn the same amount. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they do, but... Uh, <laughs> it was like, I was thinking, like, you don't know their lives. Maybe they do like corn. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and finally, I think that one of the other egregious things about pop science, and this is the final, final heading before we get into the meat of it, is the fact that a lot of pop science reporting does not really understand the limitations of science, which is understandable because I think especially mm -hmm. in this day and age, we've sort of gotten to the point where if you believe that science is credible at all, there is definitely this tendency to be like, okay, science is the only credible source of information and therefore it has to explain everything. And so mm -hmm. if you think about like, there are lots of things that science cannot explain and lots of things that science cannot do. 
for example, a lot of the things that we take for granted, there are some very clear cut sort of pictures that are painted for us by science. Like one of those things is how smoking causes lung cancer. It increases the risk of lung cancer in individuals. Um, I think like several times fold, like maybe 200 or 400%. It's some extremely high number. Don't cite me on this, but like we, <laughs> we know this, but the only reason we have come to that conclusion is because we have done thousands of studies on all kinds of people under all kinds of conditions that replicate this outcome over and over. There is so much science backing this up. And we, the basic thing is even with all of that information, the best we can do is say, based on all of these results, the prevailing theory is that smoking causes cancer. And if we find anything otherwise, that conclusion will change. But so far we haven't found anything otherwise. Other stuff in right. science is not usually that clear cut. In fact, most cause and effect relationships are not so easily described by science. Like it, it's very difficult in science to find something that directly and completely causes another thing. So the thing I just mentioned is very rare. Most science is like, okay, we spent thousands of hours working on this with thousands of people. And we think maybe these two things are potentially related, more information needed. And then you do another thousand studies. So essentially, the problem with most pop science is if you overextend these limitations of science and you, you see this study that says, oh, I don't know, let's say, um, hy hypothetically, I'm trying to think of something absurd so it can't be confused by anyone as actual science, but let's say someone did a study about playing guitar and uh, intelligence and someone said people who, you know, and they were trying to test the hypothesis that playing guitar makes you more intelligent. And of course, at the end of the study, they'd come up with something like, oh, well, we, we found we found a relationship or we didn't find a relationship. Obviously, you would probably not mm -hmm. find a relationship between those two things. But let's say you did find a relationship and you found that on average, people who played guitar scored higher on an IQ test. So your conclusion would be, we found that this was on average for the population we studied, the result. But if someone who is reporting on pop science takes this, and then they claim, oh, playing guitar must make you more intelligent. So if you play for 10 hours a day on our new regimen, you are going to oh, score off the charts, mm -hmm. right? And that happens all the time. They'll say, look, even studies oh, yeah, back it up. Sure. But of course they don't. There's one study and it says maybe these two things are related, more study needed. Right. Right. I think, I think like if that was like a study that actually happened, it would be like, oh, no, it's just the fact that probably intelligent people are more likely to want to expand their intelligence by mm -hmm. picking up an instrument and learning how to read music. And like the the act of actually playing the guitar is not what makes them intelligent. Right. Intelligent people just like to learn things. Yeah. No, for sure. Or like creative types that also yeah. happen to have, yeah, possibly are more intelligent or have mm -hmm. higher IQs or whatever. Makes you think of, I mean, like gifted and talented kids. I feel like it's uh, very common that they're like musically talented or they do something with music oftentimes. But they also like, I think, to do a I lot was, of things. I was going to make a snarky comment about the fact that I'm extremely stupid and I tried to learn how to play the guitar and I fucked it right up. Oh, Toby. <laughs> Well, if it makes you I feel any better, you've earned a gold star for stumbling onto the concept of a mediating var variable. When we talk about correlation and causation and we talk about A and B, like does A cause B or does B cause A? Well, sometimes C exists and C causes both A and B and that is, the, and that is why mm. A and B are correlated, why there's a relationship between them. And it's not because A and B are actually related, it's because C is causing both of them. So that's that's another very common thing. And that's that's something that's kind of hard to grasp for a lot of these reporters who just want a really and I say reporters as if that means anything, a lot of ants on Instagram right. or whatever, who just want to have some snappy thing to either sell or teach so that they can make a mm -hmm. really powerful headline. And that's just 
not generally how science operates, unfortunately. So who wants to hear some great, fascinating, terrible examples of pop science? Yes, please. Always, please. All right, absolutely. So I'm just going to make a disclaimer really fast. Um, I am not, I'm going to acknowledge that this exists, but I'm not going to talk about it. Um, There are two concepts in pop science, and actually I'll mention a third, that have been super debunked and heavily talked about. I think at least the (laughs) audience of this podcast does not care to hear any more about them. Um, And these two ideas that are obviously incorrect and have been debunked are vaccines cause autism and the earth is flat. Mm. Both are very incorrect. Both are very, very, very wrong. I bet so, yeah, we like talked, we touched on them briefly in our very first episode. We went probably more into the vaccines versus like a little bit into Flat Earth. Because I I may actually talk about the ridiculousness of that in a future episode because I think it's so. I want to talk more about conspiracy theories. Yeah, in general. So we could definitely do that. But yeah, they're insane. The, The people who legit believe these things because like I'm over here like man that's such a funny theory and like you can make science fiction things that it's kind of interesting but the people who like actually think it's legit I'm like okay apparently I love the idea I love I love the knowledge that apparently in Lord of the Rings the earth is flat to elves it is the earth is completely flat to elves like it is is round to every no, I don't know what it is, but like they just they, think it is. It's, well, no, it is. It actually to, is. It actually is flat to them. Like you know, when like at some point you say Legolas, what does your elf eye see? And he can literally see over the horizon because it's flat to him. He what doesn't have fuck? a horizon curve or whatever. To, like that's why he could see so far. Like I, that's why they when they um take their boats at the end to like I guess Lord of the Rings spoilers right. uh, <laughs> when, when like the elves take their boats at the end and sail off to wherever you know the elves go at the end I didn't finish the last book, um, like the reason they don't just go around the earth is because their boats just go straight, <laughs> just off the end of the world I guess though, wherever the flat earth takes them. That doesn't make any sense. No, how could they go around no, the earth? Why no, wouldn't they I just? Don't. No, ask ask J.R.R. Tolkien himself. Right. Now now I want to do a whole stupid episode about just Lord of the Rings. Anyway, I'm so sorry, Maggie. Please continue. Terrifying. Now you have me thinking about non-Euclidean elf geometry here. Um, (laughs) It's a good tangent, all right. Very thoughtful. Um, But yeah, I have no doubt that the audience who listens to this podcast is probably well-versed in the fact that these two things exist and... I have no interest in talking more about them at this present time. Mm -hmm. Um, Additionally, another thing in pop science that I'm going to kind of gloss over is how COVID-19 in pop science is presented. That has been, Mm. I'm sure there are dissertations on that already. And there's lots of information out there about what is correct, how to find out what is correct. Um, So I'm not, I'm not going to bother with that. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to keep it lighthearted with some of these topics, which will kind of give you whiplash when I talk about (laughs) the subject matter of some of these topics. So let's go into my very favorite one. This is actually my favorite one. Um, soy boy theory. Just heard about soy boys on this podcast. I just, I don't know. I don't, I have no idea what that means, but just soy boy sounds cute. 
Like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel yeah, like it sounds like a it sounds like um like an Asian aesthetic where it's just like uh it's manga like, where they take oh it and make God. it pink and it's just like a little like cutesy little um cat boys drinking milk out of a straw. Right? Oh, His little geez. soy like boba latte or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think this is gonna be especially funny because I feel like it's gonna be really actually terrible. <laughs> and she'll be like, Yeah, yeah, it kills people or something, you know, like <laughs> not not the cat boys. <laughs> Well, prepare to be horrified and also correct Yay. about your assumption. Um, oh, no. So, so first of all, the audience for these ideas, it makes sense that neither of you have heard about it because the audience for these ideas uh, skews very um, conservative and also like wellness. So people who are generally interested mm. in wellness and also conservative may have heard these ideas. I'm not saying they believe these ideas, but I think specific sure. circles within these communities have sort of popularized this as, oh, maybe this is science. Spoiler alert, it is not. The theory is basically that in soy, when you eat soy and soy byproducts, there are these chemicals in it and they're called phytoestrogens. They're also known as isoflavones. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and so the idea is that if you eat soy-based products, you are consuming a chemical that is like estrogen. And if you are a man that consumes this chemical that is like estrogen, it will act like estrogen and is going to feminize you. So you I, will, if as you're, soon as you started talking about it, I started. I remembered what you were. I was like, uh-huh. oh no, I know. I didn't know it was called this, but mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I have been actually reading about this lately, where they just like, hey, you drink it, makes you a girl. <laughs> And they actually, there was also one where I believe that, like, they said that there's testosterone in broccoli. So if you eat a lot of broccoli, it'll make you more masculine. Oh, really? I haven't heard that one. Yeah. That sounds like, that that sounds like the good type of, or what, not the good, but, like, the the type of, like, uh, manipulating of, like, toxic masculinity we Mm. need to do before we can, like, destroy masculinity destroy that because that feels like a uh, mom being like you know this will make you more manly if you oh eat your broccoli God. right I, like I remember right? learning that and be like damn I gotta eat more broccoli in my life I gotta I gotta you know get more you know <laughs> get some testosterone in this body but well I can I can so the good news is this isn't true <laughs> um well, uh, you say good news. Um, it might be unfortunate for other people who are like, man, cheap estrogen, and now you're I have right. to pay but, but money. I, <laughs> right. That is, that is, that is too bad for people who are looking for estrogen on the cheap. But the good news is if you are a eater of soy and you eat it all the time, it is not going to change how the hormones, how your hormones operate in your body or change the hormone balance in your body. Basically, the science, the science behind this, the reason why this is not true, but also the reason why people... Um, could could potentially get confused is because uh Mm -hmm. estrogen and phytoestrogens they're not the same chemical they are distinct they have similarities in chemical structure but when you actually like i looked this up in order to research this and oh my god they are so wildly different as a matter of fact that Mm -hmm. it actually makes me kind of concerned that people thought they were similar like i was thinking oh maybe there's like a small chemical group like an alcohol that was changed and so therefore Therefore, they, they have a reason to believe that these are the same, but no, these are very different looking chemicals, just, just from one inspection. But that being said, they do actually, phytoestrogens do actually connect to estrogen receptors in mammalian bodies. They just don't act like estrogen. They're just metabolized like mm-hmm. every other chemical. They have no, current, current studies show for human beings that they have no reproductive or endocrinological effects on human males. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's that's a pretty big deal because some of the research the the research that people are using to support this is that there were a couple animal studies in rats that indicated, hey, maybe in male rats, these do, these phytoestrogens do have some sort of endocrinological effect, non-specified, but human studies have not replicated this. And I have three sources, if you want to read more, um, in scientific journals that sort of describe what I'm talking about. But basically, at the end of the day, eat all the soy you want. It's not harming you, except unless you're like, I don't know, worried about carbohydrates or something. Sure. Or you're like allergic to soy. Yes. That yeah, that would, that would probably be bad. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and the fun all the thing. you want. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, wait, no, hold on. Yeah. The fun thing, the fun thing about this is this is where the um, pejorative term soy boy comes from. So, you know, Alex Jones and his circle, his Infowars circle, I think, have a mm. so sort of, I don't know if they created the term. I don't know the etymology of this term. But what I do know is it comes from this idea in Alex Jones and his posse have um, sort of popularized it as an insult for liberal men. Like, oh, you're such a soy boy because you're feminized, basically. Wow. So now That's you can rest so easy, stupid. fellow soy yeah. boys. Um. <laughs> it sounds like a, it sounds like a gen- something that people would like use as like a term to describe their gender. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't like bleed into, into it. Yeah, yeah, they're just like, yeah, I'm such a soy boy. Oh my god! Like, and then the conservatives over here, are like, how could you <laughs> take our turn? God, so stupid. It's fascinating. I would love. I've never heard anyone self-describe as a soy boy, but I'd I'd love to. I'd love to see the day. Just wait. One of these days on TikTok, it'll come up. And you're just like, oh, there it is. <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. Okay. So right. next one, alkaline water. Who has heard of alkaline water? I vaguely don't think I ha- well actually no I think when you start to describe it I I don't think I've heard it as alkaline water but I think when you start describing I think I will know what you're talking about awesome okay so the audience for this one is kind of uh I would say conversely the other side of the wellness circles a lot of these things um circulate in wellness circles you'll, you'll start to see a trend mm-hmm. here with these but I would say particularly like sort of female wellness circles, the same circles that are also selling skin products and beauty tips, like sort of this whole lifestyle where you're supposed to be beautiful, fresh, and healthy as a young mm-hmm. woman and sort of how the products that are marketed to you. So the Alkaline Water is a product that is sold by, I'm pretty sure, multiple companies. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also Alkaline Water filters to make regular tap water alkaline. And essentially all it is is water that is basic in pH instead of acidic in pH or neutral in pH. Um, uh, basic. Basic water for the basic bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, and the reason that it is marketed as something distinct from tap water, it doesn't have any properties or minerals or, I mean, well, okay, so I don't want to say that. I don't want to go out on a limb and say that because the water chemistry is complicated and I don't want to give anyone false (laughs) ideas but essentially speaking nothing is fundamentally different or special about alkaline water versus acidic or neutral water so safe drinking water generally by you know by the standards of the EPA is 6.5 to 8 on a pH scale of 0 to 14 and 7 is the middle of that so just if you're hovering around 7 somewhere it's fine basically in a nutshell, alkaline water is just more basic. So it's usually a pH of eight or nine on this scale. And the reason that people claim that alkaline water is better is because it neutralizes, and this is not true, because it neutralizes the acids of the body that are harming you and causing you to do things like age. So just let that oh soak my in. 
So they're so are they marketing this as like Fountain of Youth water? Well, it's not just marketed as Fountain <laughs> of Youth water. It's also marketed as something that here's here's some of the many things that I have read. I've linked the source in the description and the the sources. Some of the many things it is marketed for are the prevention and healing of osteoporosis, improvement of uh-huh. heart health, lowering cholesterol, preventing diabetes, aiding in weight loss, detoxifying the body, and the best one, killing cancer cells. It's water. Oh my god. <laughs> it's water. But it's It sure water. is. But it's alkaline. Alkaline, alkaline water. And so if you're curious of the reasoning, the specific reasoning, and I really, I really looked hard for this, I dug down deep for this, of why any of these things are there, why, why, why would you claim any of these things, essentially? Apparently, these effects are realized because, according to the purveyors of alkaline water, it reduces the acidity of the blood, which is already alkaline, by the way. So, as you can imagine, you may have some doubts of this, of the accuracy of these claims. I don't blame you. So, for reference, the pH of saliva, for example, is 6.7. That's very mildly acidic. The pH of blood is 7.35 to 7.45, which is mildly basic. And the pH, again, of drinking water is generally 6.5 to 8. The pH of orange juice is 3. Um, and other citric juices, which is which is pretty acidic. The reason I'm telling you all of this is because you may be wondering, huh, why doesn't drinking orange juice kill me, cause cancer and heart disease if these acids are so harmful? Was anybody right. wondering this? Yes. Always. Yes. Okay. Um, and the reason is, is because it's a bunch of bullshit, basically. It's just a bunch of bullshit. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So the body has a very, very specific an extremely regulated way that it regulates pH, especially in the blood. It's called a buffer system, the phosphate bus buffer system of the blood. And the big, the big hype about this is no matter how acidic and um, alkaline the rest of your body is, the blood is really good at maintaining this pH. If it goes outside of these limits, there is something deeply wrong with you and you probably should be in a hospital. Um, so alkaline water, if it does, what it is said to do and deacidifies your blood, that would be a very bad thing. So clearly there's a little logical flaw in here that if it's doing anything that it claims, it could probably hurt you very badly. Also, there is the fact that we drink things that are way more acidic all the time that do not hurt us at all. At the end of the day, basically, it's just, again, it's bullshit, basically. There really are a couple studies that have actually studied the effect of acidic and alkaline water on the human body. Basically, the biggest, the biggest takeaway from all of them is that most water that is alkaline or acidic will not change what is going on with you in any way. Alkaline mm-hmm. water doesn't hurt you. It also has pretty much no benefits. I think one study was like, oh, maybe your blood viscos- viscosity gets a little bit lower. But that's like, it's it's unrelated to any of these claims. Let's just let's just say it's not killing your cancer cells. It's not reducing heart disease. It's just doing all the things that normal water does. And it's just being sold in a shiny package. So And probably for more money. 
yeah it feels like um on the on the one hand if it gets people to drink more water that's not terrible but like if you actually if you buy into all of this extra stuff that it's supposedly gonna do that's not awesome you're like oh because like i just feel like that gets into the the trap of like diet coke where you're like yeah i can eat all this like like terrible stuff for me but i have a diet coke so it balances out so like i have my alkaline water so i can like not never exercise or not do anything else to like help you know maintain health or i can like it'll keep me from getting diabetes despite all these like bad um and i don't want to say any of the like stereotypical things that don't necessarily cause diabetes because that's a problematic like thing Mm -hmm. but like stuff that like if you're Mm -hmm. uh predisposed for it like doing things that will make you more likely to develop it versus you know trying to to fight that predisposition or something you're just like nope i'm drinking my alkaline water i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) it's like i don't have to do anything else for my health right yeah, who needs it? You have your alkaline water and your Himalayan pink salt. You're totally immune yeah. to all illnesses. Um, right. By the way, Can Himalayan just... pink salt is the same thing. It's just marketed as a special thing. It's not. It's really not. You say that, shit. but like uh, <laughs> Maggie, pink. it's really funny because uh, my dad uh, buys Himalayan pink salt, uh, puts it in I'm water, oh. and then puts some of that salt in his dr- like water, like a giant like thermos to drink throughout the day. Like as a way to like help cleanse his body, like he just no. drink, and then he tried he tried to make me do it, and I said, "No, Dad, I'm not gonna do that." He's like, "But you gotta have the Himalayan salt; it's so good for you." So I took a chunk of the salt and I just popped it like a nerd's candy and walked away. And he like calls out, he just called out after me. So how'd it taste? And I'm like, "Salty." <laughs> like, I don't know what you want from me. The good how thing is, unless your father requires a low-sodium diet, which many people do, but unless he does, it's not hurting him. He is drinking saline, a.k.a. very mild salt water. So he that can do that. That that <laughs> makes me worried because he also eats, like, I don't know. I wonder, like... The does, keto diet? Yeah, it's like, does high acidity, is that bad for, like, heart health? Like, because he also, like, has, he like, has a heart bunch problems. Of, yeah, like, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I, sh- I should probably get you, Maggie, you need to go yell at my dad for his eating oh, habits. <laughs> your father. Oh, jeez. Yes, but see, this is exactly what's <laughs> happening. Like, this is the trap of a lot of pop science. Like, a whole bunch mm-hmm. of it, probably, I might even hesitate to say most of it, is related to nutrition mm-hmm. and dietary lifestyle. Because it's something that everyone can relate to. So everyone can say, ooh, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm non-binary or whatever. It's like, I can relate to this specific dietary thing and what I'm trying to accomplish with my diet. But it's... Oh, it's such a mess. It's such a mess. Usually all of these claims, if it's, if it's usually too good to be true or too bad to be true, it probably yeah. is not. <laughs> anyway. I feel like, unfortunately, with our society, too, like, I think all these things are so popular because we've built this unfortunate society where it's just like in order to be happy and loved and like a good person you have to be like this like stereotypic idea of healthy which means Mm -hmm. thin like you have to be thin and Mm -hmm. like pretty and stuff and so if you do all these things you'll be thin and pretty and you'll have a fulfilling life and it's like no that's bullshit yeah like just like your pop science well yeah it's like i think i see all these people being like wanting to be thin i'm like there are some people who are never ever going to be thin in their life just how their their body body is. is not gonna be able to lose that much weight you're like like for me personally like my bone structure i will never be skinny like the way that my body holds fat and the way that i am shaped Mm -hmm. like i'm never gonna be small like it's just like i only short yeah fuck off (laughs) 
Ugh, I can't have any normal conversations. Uh, I'm so sorry. No, you're, you're not. You're not. Thing. No, you're not sorry. That was I opened myself up for that, and that's on me. So that's true. it's on you for being short. You yeah, know, like, no, it's, it's fine. okay. It's short time keep slaying. Right, yeah. right. See, at least Maggie doesn't make me feel bad about being short. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie still knows I'm royalty. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. All right, so this is, okay, this is one of my favorites. Again, like not, you know, it's no soy boy theory, but it's also something (laughs) that is enormous pet peeve of mine. It makes me so angry, it's unreal. Um, It's it's the happy, quote unquote, if if you're listening, I am doing air quotes, the quote unquote happy chemical, the quote unquote love chemical. I'm specifically going to be talking about oxytocin which is known as quote unquote the love chemical but this discussion also pertains in general to serotonin and dopamine which are thought of Mm -hmm. in pop culture as happy chemicals when i saw this on there i was thinking that's what you're going to talk about and i was really like i know very like i know in general some like the the pop science the stuff Mm -hmm. that they put out there and i know like very vaguely some of the like this is why that's not actually true and i've started i've been learning more about just like dopamine in general because i've been doing more and more deep dives into adhd and that is a um if i remember correctly in it like adhd is a dopamine deficient like disorder that's a bit yeah exactly like that's a big part of it is chasing dopamine Mm -hmm. which is why you like have like hyper fixations and like well not it's part of it mm -hmm. yeah but different things anyway but yeah so i've just i've yeah i'm very interested to learn more about this just because i know the vague things and probably incorrect <laughs> well, things yeah well because like most like uh nowadays like the like media like so like social media like online they have latched on to the words like dopamine and mm-hmm. serotonin and use them as just like words that mean yeah. happy and just i'm like i know you're not i've used them before for sure but like i well, know it's become a meme also yeah for it's, sure it's just like, like <laughs> it's pop culture references yeah, we just like the like <laughs> Normal people will find a science word, vaguely understand what it means, and go batshit crazy. Like, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, was a joke, apparently, in Star Trek. I don't know if you know this. It oh, was in, amazing. Uh, oh, God. Whichever one Jean-Luc Picard is. Um, Next Generation. Yeah. They were, they were, I believe, it, they were showing a class or whatever, and it was just, like, talking about, can they call it the warp core of the cell? <laughs> instead of powerhouse and i lost my mind anyway oh my god i love this wow terrifying thank you um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that'll be a thing on instagram right the very interesting thing about uh these chemicals is the fact that they really have gained a lot of prevalence i think most people have heard of this most people sort of have these associations with these chemicals thinking oh serotonin dopamine those are the ones that make you happy right and oxytocin that's the one that's all about love and sex right like that's that one and so well this is wildly reductive um unfortunately it would be so nice if these chemicals just if all chemicals just did one thing especially in the human body but that's unfortunate that they don't actually it's fortunate because it keeps us alive it's very important these chemicals all play a very important role in many processes in the human body as you will see So I would like to specifically call out jewelry sellers for this one because as a nerd, Mm. as a science nerd, I have sought out jewelry to wear that reflects my interest. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love chemistry. Let's find some good biochemistry jewelry. Probably 75% of the stuff out there is just the um, chemical structure of serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin. And that's actually what inspired part of my anger about this. Like I was like, I am not wearing... (laughs) 
Like, I, what are you talking about? Like, this is so reductive. This is such a reductive idea to think, oh, my happy little molecule keeping me happy. It's not. It's not doing that. Okay. Anyway. Um, it's so, not like Maggie's passionate about her, about right? any of this yes. or anything. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell. I can't tell that, that she has a strong opinion, of strong feelings about this. I wonder if she's trying to tell me something here. Oh, well, I don't know. Right? Um, <laughs> so basically, the I'm, I'm specifically focusing on oxytocin here because dopamine and serotonin are, they have their own distinct roles, but in general, this discussion also applies to them. The reason these whole, this idea about oxytocin being the love chemical is because, and this is, this is true, there have been numerous studies and a lot of research supporting that oxytocin plays an important role in processes that involve, for example, pregnancy, birth, sex, orgasm, and bonding. And oxytocin has been implicated in a lot of these events as a very important molecule. All of this is true, but what is not true is to give a reductive picture of it that describes it as, oh, you know, so that means it's a good thing. It's just in your body making good feelings. That is not what's happening. Oxytocin is a neurotransmitter, and neurotransmitters are just the brain's way of sending messages to other parts of the body. And other parts of the body, when they have a message to be received, have a receptor in place that acknowledges that a message was sent and it responds accordingly. And so, for example, when you feel, when the brain thinks that you are hurt and you need to feel pain, it will send signaling molecules. Lots of them are called neurotransmitters, not oxytocin is, oxytocin is unrelated to this. It will send neurotransmitters and the receptors in the parts of your body that are going to be in pain are going to receive this and they're going to make you experience pain. That's a very, very simplistic idea of what's happening, but you get the idea. So oxytocin is a messenger. For example, in things like pregnancy, um, sex, and bonding, oxytocin is a messenger that basically is your brain saying, I am having an experience right now. I'm having a social experience right now in the most, in the most general, in the most general way. Oxytocin isn't even necessarily a hormone that's implicated only in social events, as I'll get to, but in the specific cases of, for example, uterine contraction, it is involved in the positive feedback loop that causes the cervix to expand several times its own size and let a baby's head out. And so oxytocin isn't playing a very romantic role in that process. It's just mm -hmm. the brain is sending oxytocin, basically says to the uterus, you need to expand your cervix. And the cervix says, okay. And the cervix and the uterus responds with molecules that go back to the brain. And the brain says, oh my gosh, these molecules need, make me need to send more oxytocin. And the brain sends more oxytocin. And the uterus sends more of those chemicals. And the brain sends more. And so the cervix gets really big. And eventually this loop is cut off by an external event happening. It is very complicated, but I hope this, I hope this explanation at least makes kind of sense. So it's not playing a very romantic role. It's just saying, send more of these molecules. And the molecules say, send more oxytocin. And that's sort of what's happening when you're talking about like orgasm too. It's just like this positive feedback loop that's eventually cut off by this external stimulus. It does play, it does play important biochemical roles in these processes that are a lot more complicated and a lot less reductive than the love chemical is described as. So some of the things it plays rolled, roles in other than what I just mentioned. Also, I should mention breastfeeding is another one of those things. Like people will talk about it as maternal mother-baby bonding experience releases mm -hmm. oxytocin, which is, again, another very reductive way of looking at it. But regardless, some of the other things that oxytocin plays a role in are the positive regulation of ossification, which means bone growth, response to cocaine, mm. negative regulation of gastric acid secretion, sleep, maternal Wait, aggressive... Yeah, response to cocaine. Response um, to cocaine. Okay. It, just, yeah. it just deals with you add <laughs> coke in your body, they're there. There's the oxytocin <laughs> having a party. <laughs> so 
So we also have uh, sleep maternal aggressive behavior in response to electrical stimulus, Ooh. as well as some other kind of boring roles in the body. Like I think it has a, I think it's also implicated in the process of just responding to stimuli in general. So there's usually some oxytocin bopped around somewhere. So in, in conclusion, oxytocin and other neurotransmitters play very complicated and also have multifaceted roles in the body. It's not just, oh, good things happen. Oxytocin is there. Um, in addition, they've also found, uh, newer studies have found, and I have a source for this too, that oxytocin is also implicated in the stress response. They found that higher levels of oxytocin are sometimes in some limited scenarios correlated with stress, which, which I thought was very interesting because it's sort of like, you know, sort of kind of cuts the, oh, this is a love hormone off at the past. Like, oh, it also is doing things that are not super lovely, which means it's <laughs> just like any other thing in the body. It has, it has different things that it's doing. Did you touch on it all? I don't know. Maybe this is something that people like know all the time. But you touch on like why people think it's considered the happy chemical or the love chemical. I know. I'm sure I've seen it. I just can't think of it right now of like why it's gotten that rap. Yeah. Um. Oh, sure. I, I guess I didn't explain it super well. Um. Basically, there are a lot of pop science articles that exist. And again, these are based on real studies that oxytocin levels are correlated with a ton of different things. So obviously, like they found strong correlations between your, you know, you're having sex, you're orgasming, your oxytocin levels are off the charts. You are, um, you know, bonding with baby. You're a mother and you're holding and singing to your baby. Your oxytocin levels are generally higher. You are bonding with a dog or your child who is no longer a baby. Your oxytocin levels are higher. You're bonding with a loved one. Okay. Your oxytocin levels are higher. And so people think of it as this sort of, well, it's gotten a reputation, I should say as this romantic chemical like oh it's so sweet like every time you do something nice and intimate with a person or creature that you ha hold dear to you oxytocin is there holding holding your hand along the way it's also holding your hand along the way um in your response to cocaine and your response to electrical <laughs> stimulus so you know oxytocin right. is really there for okay. you in everything <laughs> through the good times it, it really and the bad <laughs> so now that we've gotten that out of the way who wants to buy an oxytocin necklace Toby's raising his hand. All right, thank you, Toby. He is raising his hand, right? <laughs> Moving on, we have the climate clock. Now, I know you've all, well, not all of you, probably both of you, though, have heard of the climate clock, right? I think vaguely. Vaguely. I, mean, I know, yeah, I know what it's correlated to. Yeah, like, right, I what it's around. I don't know like, what it is, specifics. Yeah. For those, for those that don't, the audience this generally targets, I think, are pretty much anyone who's in the market for climate change news, which is, which is increasingly mm -hmm. everyone. So if you haven't heard of this, this is basically, I would describe it as part art installation, part initiative by organizations that are in, in trying to reduce, stop, and reverse the effects of climate change and to stop like greenhouse gas emissions. And it's basically this clock, and this was about six months, not six months ago, I don't know, but like six months ago, it was set to seven years to be a countdown timer for seven years saying, okay, in seven years, if we do not cut global greenhouse gas emissions to zero, mm -hmm. we are going to pass the threshold for 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. And that will have catastrophic effects once we reach that threshold and pass it. I definitely heard vaguely about this. I don't think I've heard it referred to as a climate clock per mm -hmm. se, but yeah, I've definitely heard that idea of just like in so many years, we'll have fucked ourselves over so badly that there's like no coming back from it or again like that we have done something irreversible that'll have negative effects 
Right, right. So um, these clocks, art installations of these clocks are currently active in Berlin, New York, Seoul, Korea, Rome, and Glasgow. interesting. We have have a lot of different places in the world that have these installations. So the interesting thing about this is, this is one of the examples, I intentionally put this here, because this is one of the examples of pop science that I find very interesting, and I think it is a net positive example of what pop Mm -hmm. science can do. Because it has some pop science pitfalls of being a reductive idea. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, it's very powerful. And the principles it's based on are very important and are very much backed by a lot of research. So, for example, the the theory, you know, the theory behind it is obviously there's a lot of research that supports that the 1.5 degrees Celsius global warming threshold will have pretty serious, sometimes irreversible effects on the climate. An example, Mm -hmm. through extreme weather events, through ocean rise, through ice cap melting, that type of thing. This stuff everyone has heard, you know. And it is, you know, Mm -hmm. it is correct to say that these effects have been supported by a lot of scientific models. There's a lot of science that goes into that. Um, And the the climate clock does reflect an accurate model of, okay, so at some point, if we keep going with our current trends of greenhouse gas emissions, we will reach that, reach that threshold. That is also true. And it will happen, according to the models, when they say it will. So the only problem with this is that it's a very reductive view of how climate change works. And that is to say, right. it's not going to be, oh, you know, basically we have to either, you know, we either, we have these two choices. We have to either cut out all greenhouse gas, gas emissions forever and avoid all of these things, or we have to keep barreling towards this, pass it, and then all of these things will happen and they will be irreversible. Those are not the only two options here, but it kind of seems that right. way when you're just watching the clock tick down to zero. Not to be depressing, but I anticipate we will watch this clock tick down, tick down to zero and we will continue to be emitting greenhouse gases. And I think that there's really this trap when we're talking about environmental science. You know, it's a very dep- depressing discipline that I've chosen for myself. It is, it is a <laughs> trap to talk about environmental science and think, oh, you know, climate change... There's no coming back from it. Like everything we do is just going to get worse. And the best thing we can do is to just have things stay the same. Because that's, you know, that's really bad for people's motivation to actually do anything about climate science. Like who wants to say, oh, this depressing world we live in? Yeah, it's never going to get better at best. <laughs> so right. the climate clock is kind I'm- of one of those things that I'm glad is putting pressure on people to do something about climate change because we really should be getting down to net zero emissions as fast as we can. But that's not to say mm-hmm. that if we only get halfway there... Or if we don't get there in seven years, but we get there in eight years or ten years, that it won't be better. Because we right. any mm-hmm. any change in the positive direction is good. And unfortunately, what is absolutely accurate about the climate clock is the fact that a lot of these changes will be irreversible. But what is not accurate is that some of the changes that they're talking about are already happening and are already mm-hmm. irreversible. Like, it kind of ignores the fact that we've already lost a lot of time, you know? And so right. I feel like it's just this mixed bag of thinking that there's like this threshold that we can either save the world forever or screw the world forever. When in reality, it's like we're just we're, we've been on this path for a long time. And the bright side is we can do something about it and it will have a positive impact no matter what we do about it in the positive way. Or it will have a negative right. impact if we don't do anything positive about it. Sexist evolutionary psychology. So I, I couldn't figure out what to entitle this segment because it's just, uh, you'll see. You've probably heard some of these <laughs> ideas before. And it just, mm-hmm. it, it, okay. The, the, targets, the targets of the, these ideas are generally 
I'm going to stick to the more extreme targets and the people that this has circulated within, but there's also just in the mainstream, some of these ideas are pretty uncritically sort of like held by a lot of people about how women and men work. And they're supposedly based on evolution, which is our right. friend, except when it's used in a inappropriate way to explain things in different contexts, it makes no sense as you will as you will come right. to see so the audiences for this tend to be definitely what i'm going to focus on are some of the uh incel takes on ev sexist evolutionary <laughs> psychology psychology for those listening who don't know what incels are it's sort of this this very it's a very loaded word it was this community that sprung up on reddit involuntary celibate males who felt that women basically they were unattractive to women because they weren't considered valuable in the market and therefore they were very mad about it and mad at women because they thought it was like this defect with women and so they invented all mm -hmm. these reasons why that this was this was happening and a lot of the reasoning came from again air quotes listeners evolutionary psychology another big figure in this circle and i, I actually feel a little scared calling out these names directly hopefully we don't have any uh, <laughs> I don't know. Incels listening. Incels, shout out to you, I guess. If no, you're no, listening. no, hey, no, no. Fuck incels. Please don't. No, like, no. no. Um, Please. <laughs> we don't want. Why them are you here? here? I, was, I mean, it's kind of like I feel like if an incel is listening, thoughts. like what an accomplishment that they found this podcast and hung on, hung on to it this long. You know what I mean? Right. right. Yeah. So anyway, also Jordan Peterson fans. Jordan Peterson, by the way, I, as I was doing my research, I was extremely surprised to find was a clinical psych is a clinical psychologist and professor. Of psychology i don't know if he is anymore but he certainly earned the degree for those who don't know jordan peterson is someone with uh, very very i should say radical conservative ideas about um you know gender politics um mm -hmm. all these other things he's known for quite a bit i don't recommend him i wouldn't right. look him up but anyway he was also I mean, sort of that's... a purveyor of some of these ideas I was it. That's like um, when I did the, and you may remember this because I think you listened. I mean, you, you said you listened to it, but like our first episode, I talk about the fact that the whole um, autism or vaccines called autism that started with a doctor. Yes. Like there was originally with somebody who was a medical professional who has since had his medical license revoked for obvious reasons. But yes. like it started with someone who was in this field who was supposed to. <laughs> no fucking better than that you would think but anyway right. like yeah unfortunately yeah. that's I don't know and I feel like that's almost probably why some of these things get more popular because you have this person that's just like I'm a psychologist I'm mm -hmm. a whatever I uh, like put so much you know got this degree all, all this stuff into this field like obviously I know things and it's like yeah but you can still be a dipshit and have these really like problematic views and then you use your field to incorrectly like perpetuate your false views yes so this is these ideas have sort of been popularized by figures within these communities to support their claims now i have a source on here i just want to mm -hmm. give a quick trigger warning to uh, my second source because the incel community on reddit shut down i had to find a secondary source that captured what some of the quotes and what some of the ideas in this community were because i recall reading them but i couldn't find a source that outlined them this source has mm -hmm. some of them. I skimmed it for the primary sources. I can't necessarily endorse the secondary source for its accuracy. I think it's an opinion piece. Either way, point is, serious trigger warning for mentions of sexual assault, violent misogyny, the works um, from these, these ideas. 
Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to the lighthearted ones here, <laughs> but I just wanted to say that, like, don't click on it, like, expecting something flowery, it's pretty messed up. Um, but basically, mm -hmm. this, these ideas boil down to, okay, so evolutionary history, and again, this is, this is going to be reductive for a number of reasons here, but just to, just to give you a broad overview, the male and female reproductive habits of what we would describe in colloquial terms as cavemen, they believe were defined by certain principles like for example women needed to invest in a man that was going to imp that the one that was going to impregnate them needed to have all the traits <laughs> that were desirable for their future offspring to have reproductive success and so they have to be mm -hmm. very picky about the man they invest in whereas men can just impregnate someone in a few minutes and go on and impregnate another person so they don't have to be picky and so these men women developed this like control over men re male reproductive habits because men, you know, they, they, have to, they have to invest in their offspring because they have to carry it for nine months. And therefore, some of the things in caveman times that they, were, that they claim are very important are the fact that women wanted men to be strong, who could protect them. Women wanted men who would go out and hunt for them and kill for them. Women wanted men who were aggressive and assertive and tall and dominant and, you know, traditional Amer good old red-blooded American masculinity there. Um, but here's <laughs> right. the problem. The problem isn't that they're tank taking these evolutionary ideas because for, you know, some of these evolutionary evolutionary ideas are I would say very variably well accepted by evolutionary mm -hmm. anthropologists in the sense that we know that, you know, back in caveman days, it is true that women had to be choosy and selective when choosing a partner because she did have to invest in her offspring. And it is also true that partners who were assertive and dominant were probably more likely to have access to women, although that's not necessarily because women liked them more, it's just because maybe they were aggressive enough to get what they want, if you know what I mean. So like, right. some of these ideas are sort of variously kind of supported by evolutionary psychology, but the problem is incels and other people of this ilk who would take these ideas are now trying to say, okay, so in America in 2015 or whenever, this is how women act because all these evolutionary history this evolutionary history exists of course they do of course they're choosy and they're not attracted to me because i'm not the aggressive uh hunter that they're looking for right and they they talk about these things like oh bone structure and tallness and hunter eyes and chad jawline like all these things and hunter eyes the big problem is that this is this is a great example of what i said before about overextending the conclusions of science not only not only mm -hmm. are they kind of operating on shaky ground to begin with they're taking the conclusions that exist and they're saying, okay, so obviously this caveman logic now applies in modern times. Like, this is just how we operate. This is the natural the natural way of doing things. Of course, women will behave this way because they did it 30,000 years ago. Right. Makes sense. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense, right? So, no, obviously. A lot of things have changed from 30,000 years ago, as one might think. Just a couple. Um, in addition, human beings as a species have changed substantially since 30,000 years, years ago. So all of these mm -hmm. conclusions that you can quote unquote draw from all this research that applies to creatures that lived in very different contexts with very different physiology, it's not applicable to today. So this one is, this one is, this one's exciting. Um, <laughs> it might not sound exciting, but it is. Because this basically is a theory, and basically almost every single person on Earth is aware of this in some respect because mm -hmm. it's relevant to everyone. And that is the idea mm -hmm. that biologically there are two sexes, male and female. And that's mm -hmm. sort of the theory. 
So sort of a theory, like yeah, you know, (laughs) casual. You say to two (laughs) Mm -hmm. people who are very. I mean, like I will also apply the word non-binary to me, right? Yeah, not on. Yeah, I am not on the binary scale for sure. (laughs) I am ninety-eight percent boy, two percent. So sexual sexual determination is very interesting because you know as. As the theory goes, and it is, you know, as the theory goes, there are two sexes, male and female, and they're defined by certain characteristics. Uh, Characteristics that might include, you know, primary sexual characteristics, your chromosomes, uh, your secondary sexual characteristics, your physical appearance, um, your hormones and their balance in your body, those type of things. And it's worth noting that when I talk about sex, I'm not talking about gender. Gender is a sociological concept, and it is... Most anthropologists that are worth their salt recognize that it exists on a spectrum um, mm-hmm. because it's a sociological construct. It's not something that is scientifically exists in a, in a physical sense. It's an idea about identification that relates to what culture you're in, what context you're in, who you are, etc. So when we talk about biological sex, not only is it distinct from gender, people think that science has supported this idea that there are only two sexes. But in reality, scientists who study sex determination and genetics and, and, and uh, what is it? Where you like look at skeletons and you determine what's going on with the skeleton. I don't know what that discipline is called. Anthro- yeah, uh, it's... Archaeology, right? Um, yes. Anthropology. Well, no, anthropology is the study of um, like systems and um, uh, so civilizations. Things. Yeah, archaeology is the study of tools and bones, but it's, uh, I mean, you have like forensic archaeology or forensic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you can might deal more with um because you think of like like bones like the the character bones she dealt with um she was a probably a forensic archaeologist i think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know what i mean so there's a lot of disciplines that deal with um how biological sex is relevant to the discipline so my perspective Mm -hmm. comes from the biochemical and genetic standpoint i took a class on genetics i have a degree in biochemistry and I took a bunch of other classes on human physiology because I'm interested in going to medical school. So because of this, it is not that science actually supports that there are two distinct sexes for human beings. It is the fact that people believe that that is their conclusion that they're drawing from the science that exists. Now, scientifically, most people will model a system with two sexes. They will say, okay, it's, it's very easy to group human beings into a category of, okay, male and female, here's all these characteristics that we're dumping in with male, here's all these characteristics that we're dumping in with female. And that's a, you know, it's an efficient model because it's very like, you know, it's binary. It's so easy to just say, okay, so when we have research subjects, we have people between these ages, we have people that are these races, and we have people that are male and female, sex-wise. And it's a very useful model, and I'm not saying it's not important because it very much is important, but to say that that's how biological sex operates is reductive my favorite word so in reality (laughs) human sex is determined by so many characteristics that operate many of them operate on a sliding scale and are not binary at all and many of the people that we think of as cisgender do not fall easily into a bin of male or female in fact there's a whole Mm -hmm. category of people in addition to cisgender people that are intersex actually two percent of our population is the current statistic that is uh approved basically saying that these people do not fall into the category of cisgender so hard that we're making a new category for them but even cisgender people they don't really often don't fall into these categories perfectly here are some of the many dimensions 
here's some of the many dimensions of sex that determine, you know, basically what people are thinking of what's going on, right? That's a very bad way to put it, but anyway. We have chromosomes. We have gonads, not to be confused with internal genitalia or external genitalia, which are both different. We have hormones. Mm -hmm. We have hormone receptor sensitivity. We have brain structure. We have gene expression. And we have skeletal structure. And we have secondary sex characteristics. So basically, all of these characteristics, for example, chromosomes, even chromosomes, even though there's only, you know, as far as sex chromosomes, another air quotes moment, because they're not actually mm -hmm. just about what biological sex you are. They do so many other things. It's just sort of this idea that, oh, if it, if it makes like, if it's really clear cut, people are attracted to it. But science is never that clear cut. So even chromosomes, right. where there's only the options of X and Y, unless you do have a chromosomal ab abnormality that makes it very hard to be alive you have people with xy chromosomes who are phenotypically female you have people with xxx chromosomes who are phenotypically i can't remember but they're fine they're fine and they present as cisgender we have people with xo chromosomes meaning they don't have a y chromosome we have people with um xxy chromosomes we have people with xx chromosomes who are phenotypically male and this isn't even to start on the fact that gender identity which is you know Unre which is eh, there's a relationship but it's not exact it it is a different thing you know it's not even a start in the fact that transgender people exist that's not even a start in the fact that non-binary people exist it's not a start in the fact that other cultures recognize that other genders exist so this mm -hmm. is all just physiologically human beings can be a rainbow of different things and many people do not know throughout their entire life they can live under the assumption that they are cisgender and encounter no problems but at the end of the day something in them doesn't quite fit into the bin. There are a lot of cisgender people who have differences in all of these facets that we'll never know because they haven't looked into it. And mm -hmm. to say that two biological sexes encompasses that is, you know, it's an efficient model, but it's not accurate. And I think that a lot of people would be very surprised to learn how complicated it really is. <sighs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, but it's something that I just wanted to talk about briefly. In fact, that's what my special, um, that's what my special resource is. I have a very fun Twitter th thread by a scientist, um, if you're interested, a data oh, scientist, yeah. I'm pretty sure, who talks a lot about the modeling of, of biological sex and how it's impacted some of the research that they've done, and I, I highly recommend it. It's pretty... I think it's pretty accessible and it's a pretty fun read. And real quick, I'm going to plug. So um, we've uh, so Maggie's been mentioning kind of throughout some of the like sources and things that she has provided and has been very thorough on, which I appreciate. Um, for some of our past ones, we're just like, yeah, we read these things, but I lost the link. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. or like random whatever so um, for those of you who are like man I want to like this has been interesting I want to like know more about it we do have as we say in most of our episodes uh, we have octopod.wordpress.com where we will have the full show notes and so we will have uh, more of these sources more of this information so I can't Hell think yeah. of anything else to say <laughs> um, that was that was oh, all sure the content I had planned for you Thank you so much for joining us as our special guest today. A lot of these things I definitely now am going to go look a little more into. Mm -hmm. I will try and look in. Well, I will definitely look into mm -hmm. the resources that you Jesse shared for sure. Jesse did take notes. I, there are notes on the paper. There's like just a bunch of like crossing out and like um, just blue. There's not a lot of crossing out. Well, you know, it's just like. It's because I misspelled uh, things. Mm, okay. Yeah, no. It's literally I, I will misspell something. There are something. like bullet points and like just writing everywhere. Points. I have a fun little quote that. um 
it was not actually really said, but it was a fun quote that I like created out of. I was amused me when you said like oxytocin is uh, like implicated in things, and so it's just like the the funny I the funny um, concepts of like words so, like implicated like implicated in a murder like. Oh my god. <laughs> so, yes. I literally have like oxytocin is implicated in several chemical crimes. Incredible. Amazing. Oh my goodness. That should be a shirt. <laughs> right? That should be a t-shirt. That's the shirt right there. Uh, I wanted to say I'm very honored. Thank you for allowing me to guest host on your podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm glad yeah. you found it fascinating and took notes. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I feel so, so honored for that. Um. So yes, uh, I have nothing else to say. Thank you, everyone for listening as well absolutely so gonna go ahead and um get into our more some of like structured stuff that we're putting into place so if you want to support us um at octopod uh we are on instagram i will have some fun pictures that the lovely maggie will be hopefully helping me pick out and then also i might find some memes well it'll be a joint effort of memes and maybe actual like scientific pictures that uh help with the understanding of her topics um because that was part of my notes was just like fun things i'm like oh i could find maybe some fun some fun pictures regarding these um including definitely either in the instagram post or separately i'm absolutely gonna uh share the picture that uh toby found which is the <laughs> mitochondria <laughs> the work core of the just because I have to. So funny. But, so uh, check out our Instagram for that, uh, if nothing else, for that gem, which it will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. Uh, as I said, our blog where we put all of our sources, extra information, show notes, etc. Octopod.wordpress.com. Um, just come. We'd love for you to come support us. Love for you to come comment on things. Tell us what you liked, what you might want to hear more about, especially some of these topics. If you really like some of the more science-based things. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. And we are going to end with, with a, joke. a joke. A joke. Where do bats keep their money? Where? The blood banks. Oh, my God. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Amazing. But I'm just- <laughs> amazing all right and that has been <laughs> corny jokes with jesse did you like them better than Rhonda's? probably not like they're are they worse than Rhonda's? Probably, probably so yes yes 100 percent. not even a probably yes wow okay <laughs> okay but thanks so much for joining us and see you next tuesday bye bye occupied thoughts is brought to you by jesse schaff Rhonda w and tobias collins and is produced by jesse schaff our intro was the lovely elizabeth cobb Featured music is Bitchin' by Kaiju Chaos. Find more on SoundCloud or TikTok. That's K-A-I-J-U Chaos. Want more info on the show? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Octopod, or reach out to us via email octopod at gmail.com. O-C-T-H-O-P-O-D. See you next time.